Hey, Sleepover Cinema listeners, this is Hannah here. Before we get into the episode, Audrey and I wanted to take a small moment to address a very small but important change in language on Sleepover Cinema. As you all know, Sleepover Cinema is the show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the group that we have traditionally described as the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. However, we have recently come to understand that this phrase can be extremely othering and frankly very annoying to non-binary people, and we want to apologize for and acknowledge any harm done by our using this phrase. We will be coming up with far more creative and specific ways to describe our audience from here on out. Thank you for granting us grace in this instance as we work to improve as cisgender allies. And please enjoy the episode. Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who watch Bratz commercial compilations at 1 a.m. in 2021. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we have not stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the sometimes direct-to-home video movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Guys, today is a deep (laughs) cut. If you were here for this film, then you are a real homie and friend of this podcast. Today, we are talking about 2000's Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea. (laughs) Coming soon to own on video and DVD. Ten years ago, a mermaid dreamed of life on the land. Now, her daughter dreams of the sea. You know what? Sometimes I even pretend I have fins. So this, our inspiration to talk about this movie struck a few (laughs) weeks ago when I just texted Audrey an out of context uh, core memory quote (laughs) from this movie. And uh, neither, well, I haven't watched this in at least 10 years. That's insane. (laughs) And Audrey just told me that she has seen it kind of recently. Yes, because my roommate has Disney Plus, and upon discovering that they have Little Mermaid 2 on Disney Plus, I was like, I was like, press play immediately, like, no (laughs) hesitation. So I saw it, you know, within the past year. I have no qualms with viewing it again. Good. I mean, that is that is how things tend to work out when we watch movies. You've seen them recently for some reason, and I haven't seen them, yeah. and we just go with it. So, Little Mermaid 2, I'm hoping that if you're listening to this, you have seen it. Um, it's one in a vast legacy of direct-to-video sequels made by... Disney tune, whatever, and we will definitely get into that in more detail. So, as always, let's start with the facts about 
this movie, Little Mermaid 2 Return to the Sea. So uh, this movie was released direct-to-video on September 19th, 2000, of the year 2000. Um, And as we already said, this was a classic example of early 2000s, late 90s, Disney direct-to-video animated sequels. Um, If you want to know more about the empire of direct-to-video sequels, there's this really good YouTube video about it by uh, Yesterworld, which is like a whole thing we'll have to talk about. But it's called The Rise and Fall of Disney Toon Studios, Disney's Controversial Animation Sequel Empire. And this movie was probably one of the better ones of that venture, I at least would hope. I think it's really not, it's not a matter of, is it good? It's a matter of, is it offensive? (laughs) (laughs) Like offensive to your soul as a Disney Uh, appreciator. Yeah. Is it offensive to the brand or is it passable? This is also another first for us in that we are wading into animation for the first time on Sleepover and into like literal children's content. (laughs) Yeah. And there will be nothing, nothing to discuss in the adult joke category or anything. Not. Probably not. But who knows? Maybe there's something. Um, but with Little Mermaid 2, you know, expectations had to be pretty high. I know that our mom bought it for us. She felt she was uh, targeted by the direct to home video scheme and bought us the thing. And just for context, the original Little Mermaid premiered in theaters in 1989 and won best score for Alan Menken at the 1990 Academy Awards. So like the score, the original songs really won over the hearts of America. Um, And, you know, before we keep going, I feel like we should just take a moment and talk about, okay, this is so new for us. Why are we doing this one? How would you describe why we're doing this one? Because uh, it fits, but um, it doesn't. I think that probably a lot of our listeners, if if they haven't seen it, they probably know it exists or have seen a plethora of the other um, cheap versions of classic Disney animated movies. Yes. And it is um, like a staple of children's entertainment that is extremely specific to our time. It exists in this span of like eight years. <laughs> yeah, I also agree with all those points and just that there's like a really specific sort of like cringe that comes along with this movie that I just, I'm always seeking out uncomfortable experiences and I have a feeling that this one will be uncomfortable. <laughs> so... <laughs> And I would say we've probably seen Little Mermaid 2 as many times as The Little Mermaid. I have no idea. Maybe even more. It feels like we may have seen it even more, which is really saying (laughs) something. So there's going to be a lot of like archaic memories unlocked in this process. So anyway, who directed this movie? Jim Camerud directed this movie. Uh, He was primarily a storyboard artist, and that's still what he does to this day. So, like, recently he was a storyboard artist for the 2018 reworked animated version of The Grinch. Uh, But in the 90s, he worked on Rocco's Modern Life, Ren and Stimpy, a goofy movie, etc. And then he also directed several other Disney direct-to-video sequels, so 101 Dalmatians 2, The Fox and the Hound 2, Legend, and he was also involved (laughs) in, like, basically all of the other direct-to-video sequels. 
To which I have to ask, do you, have you seen any of those other sequels? The only, I think the only other one, actually, I was having a flashback because before recording this, I was watching a bunch of Yesterworld's YouTube videos just to like re-educate myself and remember about this period of, of time in Disney history and all of that. And um, there was a clip from a Peter Pan sequel yeah that it it like it really like it brought something back yeah it was like this clip of like um it's wendy's daughter or something right wendy's daughter like backing up off the plank yep and i was like oh my god and then i know i've seen a cinderella one yeah for some reason the peter pan sequel was like really ruthlessly ruthlessly wow ruthlessly marketed to us through like mcdonald's toys and i know we had like a coloring book that was peter pan too when we were little so agreed i've seen those yeah i think it it should be mentioned that like earlier i said that um all of these spinoffs and they're not really spinoffs all these sequels were cheaper and that's because they um outsourced the animation to other countries um like a lot a lot of them are china and a lot of them are australia um but they simply were not taking the time it it is a it is a glorified (laughs) cash grab yeah totally um i would say that like today they've pretty much been replaced by um the shorts that they include before features yeah um at disney but it's just like a much better call in my opinion because then they're able to actually spend the time to make sure that it looks like the original movie does um because these are horrendous looking they really okay don't look good. they don't <laughs> anyway look good. i also would like to add that i know for me for audrey too but especially for me when i was a little kid i was like a big Disney princess person, like a really big Disney princess person. So, and for too long, which I'm sure we will talk about at some point, but I was very, <laughs> very into it. And so like Little yeah. Mermaid 2, of course, I'm I'm yeah. here for it. I'm ready for Little Mermaid 2 as a five-year-old. I was basically just into whatever Hannah was into. Yes. So if Audrey had her way, we would have been watching The Sound of Music and Mr. Rogers round the clock literally every moment of every day. <laughs> So, okay, we had our director, Jim, and then there were two co-directors in addition to that, Brian Smith and Bill Spears. They have, they're like all clearly the same sort of like calling card Disney animation dudes. Good for them, I wrote on the notes. (laughs) (laughs) Then our writers, uh, there's four people, well, there's actually seven people (laughs) whose names have been attached to the story of Little Mermaid 2. So first of all, you have our screenwriters. The screenwriters firstly include Elizabeth Anderson, known for writing Lassie, (laughs) and that's it. And then we have Temple Matthews who wrote a few Disney sequels, a few episodes of shows, weird spinoff Disney content. Also clearly one of their calling card writers who will just like do whatever they uh, need. Then we have quote unquote additional screenplay materials from Elise Den, I think is how her last name is pronounced. Uh, she has a few edgy looking credits. That's it. Uh, and then we have Eddie Guzelian who has a lot of TV writing credits. Holy shit. To this day, he is still a TV writer. 
and he's done a ton of stuff like animated writing but for us the stuff that's most relevant we have american dragon jake long but that's actually not what it's called <laughs> isn't it jake long american dragon do we know? I, I don't know. I, I That just brought back, I can think of what he looked like, but Same. I can't remember anything about the show. Once again, a boy show that we do not fuck with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ned's Declassified. <laughs> Great show. I Great show. I need to watch that again. And then Johnny Test, which we were slightly like too old for when it came out, but we were like aware that it existed. Um, And then he wrote for a lot of spinoff Disney shows. So like the Hercules show they had in development and on TV, the Tarzan one. Uh, Yeah. And then the last three people attached to the story of Little Mermaid 2. Obviously, we have the man himself, Hans Christian Andersen, (laughs) the original (laughs) writer of The Little Mermaid. They've been Disney's been dragging this man into their <laughs> shit for decades. Yes. And then, uh, of course, the screenwriters for the original Little Mermaid, who are two men whose names I did not write down because we get it. There was a lot of people involved. Audrey, what's the plot synopsis of The Little Mermaid 2? <laughs> the plot synopsis is to protect her from a sea witch, Ariel's daughter is not allowed in the ocean. But when she becomes 12, she runs away to an adventure under the sea. I really liked how this writer chose becomes 12. Yeah, <laughs> when she turns, turns 12. <laughs> when she becomes 12. Also, just didn't say her name. Her name is Melody. Yeah, say her name, Melody. <laughs> Melody deserves her flowers. <laughs> Um, oh my god she does deserve her flowers okay oh and then we have taglines oh there's three well yeah okay we've got we've got a few things here um the first one is 10 years ago a mermaid dreamed of life on the land now her daughter dreams of the sea original the second one is get ready for a story unlike any other what i know and then the third one is really more of a marketing thing, I feel like. Um, return to the sea, September 19th. <laughs> oh, and that we did. We returned to the sea, all right. Oh, our first opportunity. <laughs> oh, you said we can go back first, to the sea? <laughs> first day. <laughs> okay. The cast of The Little Mermaid 2. Let's get into it. A lot of this is not surprising. So first of all, we have Jodie Benson returning as Ariel. Uh, She appears to have done a lot of gigs as Ariel. Basically, anytime they were like, we're making a 30 second short for Disney Channel, come be Ariel. She'd be like, "Okay." I think a really good example of how she does every single gig as Ariel is we had. And I hope if you (laughs) out here had this, please let me know. We have the uh, Disney's Disney Princess Enchanted Ed- Enchanted Journey, excuse me, Wii game. <laughs> and it's such a weird game. We played it so many times because there was something about it that was just really compelling, even though we were like 14 and 12. And uh, all that is like a bunch of Disney princesses are in it. And Ariel is actually voiced by like the real Ariel. And everyone else is like an egregiously different sounding person. So she said, I will come and collect my check no matter (laughs) when or for what. Yeah. She's like, no one can replace me. And honestly, true. So I'm really glad. Also, 
Um, I would pay actual money to play that game right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have it in my and living room right now. I know. Like, you're really not taking advantage. I know. Um, but second, we also had a CD-ROM game that was The Little Mermaid um, that I think I played more than Hannah because I think it was like a younger yeah. grade level. It was like a kindergarten type mm-hmm. game, but like that also holds a special place. Yeah, I remember so clearly we lived in Boston for a year when our dad was in grad school. Um, and I remember before school, before first grade, sitting there and playing that game and that the power dramatically went out while I was playing it. And I was <laughs> like, I'm in a movie. So anyway, Jody Benson <laughs> deserves her flowers. And... <laughs> And she also is Barbie in Toy Story. So in all the Toy Story movies, she's the voice of Barbie. So that's cool to know. Oh, that's good. They'll probably like throw Jody a bone. She needs some fresh meat at this point. <laughs> yeah. then, then we have Samuel E. Wright returning as Sebastian. Also has done a shitload of Sebastian work. And God bless him, truly. Then, very interestingly, we have Tara Strong as Melody. And when I saw her name, I was like, I know who that is. Why do I know who that is? And she is a very famous and successful voice actress. Just uh, a selection of the characters she's originated. You have, uh, she's Raven in Teen Titans Go, which begs the question, is she Raven in regular Teen Titans? I don't know. Maybe she is. She's Timmy Turner and Poof whoever that is, in The Fairly Odd Parents. She is Bubbles in The Powerpuff Girls. She was Terrence in Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. And she is Twilight Sparkle in My Little Pony. Friendship is magic. She's prolific. And uh, I'm pretty sure that she <laughs> has... She deserves her th- <laughs> We're not saying it, but you know what we mean. So anyway, there's all of that. Then we have Pat Carroll returning. She was Ursula in the first movie, but now she's Morgana, who's Ursula's evil sister. And uh, obviously, she also will play Ursula as much as humanly possible. And before The Little Mermaid, she was like a very established and esteemed television actress. It kind of seems like a situation where like... When she got old, they were like, play this hag. And she was like, okay. And now, like, she was probably like 65 when she played that hag. And now she's just like continuing to have to do that, like, even to this day. Yeah, but like, think of what she was able to make that role. Oh, yeah. Like, she was able to make it like the diva. Yes. The diva. I mean, Pat Carroll, you know what she deserves. (laughs) Her flowers. Pat Carroll has done a massive service for uh, (laughs) the LGBTQ plus community through her performance. So love her. Basically, everyone from The Little Mermaid came back to reprise their roles randomly, except for Prince Eric, according to my research. He couldn't be bothered. He He couldn't come back. He couldn't be bothered. And then interesting fact I (laughs) uncovered, King Triton is voiced by Kenneth Mars. So to me, I don't know who the fuck Kenneth Mars is in isolation, but when I looked stuff up about him, he starred in Young Frankenstein and The Producers with Gene Wilder. He also plays Otto in Malcolm in the Middle, which is a show that I weirdly have never actually watched. And he has a very long and legit career. So good for him. Then the two new characters, 
well, other than Melody and Morgana, I guess, of this movie. I don't remember anything about these characters. I think one of them is like a sea lion. I don't know what the other one is. I don't remember. But their names... I think they're a penguin and a sea lion. Penguin, correct. Okay. Very Timon and Pumbaa. Very that. Yeah. Their names are Tip and Dash. I don't know which one is which. We will find out very soon. Uh... And Tip is played by Max Casella, who is very booked and very blessed to this very day. And the characters that seem to have been the most significant in his career so far um, are Benny in The Sopranos and Vinny Del Pino in Doogie Howser. Clearly, he's playing like your New York Italian dude as much as humanly possible. And then we have Stephen First as Dash. He was in National Lampoon's Animal House and other shit that I don't know. So yeah, that's this makes a lot of sense, though. Well, because you remember who the characters are. Like, what's with what's with the whole thing where animal sidekicks have like New York Italian <laughs> accent? It's just like a it's like a really efficient way to like assign a certain personality to them, probably. Yeah, yeah. It's like they oh, they say one word, and you're like, oh. I, I know, I get it. Yeah, it's like Nathan Lane could have been in this and we would have been like, yeah, for sure. Okay, so now we're entering the critic zone. Audrey, would you care to guide us into that zone? Yes, my specialty. <laughs> um. Okay, so also I I think we should bring back in the um, budget and first weekend. Oh, you're right. Uh, oh my God. Again. Well, there wasn't a first weekend because this was direct video. So next time. Yeah. I got it. So next time. Yes. We've got a 17% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) So sad. Um, That's really, really bad. Um, So there is no critic consensus because it was not a theatrical release. But reviews wise, we've got a few things here. First is from hater David Nusser. (laughs) Who I'm pretty sure we've quoted um, before. And and he says that it is astonishingly bad on virtually every level. Um, Tim Brayton says that it is carelessly stupid. And finally, Dylan L. Is that a is that just a user of it was of, like a it was like a user review on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, yeah. Just a a man named Dylan, or a woman, we're not sure. Anyways, Dylan L. says, The Little Mermaid 2 exactly represents why Disney should never have made all these shit sequels to decent movies. The animation is less remarkable, the story is sloppy, the characters are too childish, and it's too obviously produced for the sake of a few bucks. He said it. There's no lie there. (laughs) It's just, it's just hilarious that like all of these things being true, it can still be a special thing to a child. Of course. It's like, you know, like it doesn't matter. Like we don't care how, how quality the frame rate of animation is. Like, (laughs) no, we don't. No, we do not. And there's a lot of really iconic parts of this movie that we will talk about when we get to parts that we remember. But yes, you know what? In spite of um, what all this all this stuff these men had to say, 
it doesn't change that it's in our brains under under the permanent record file. So what do you it found do? a home. It found a it home. found a home in our souls. Yes. Um, there is a fifty seven percent audience score, and if that doesn't just represent what we're talking about, yes, seventeen percent critic score, fifty seven percent audience score. That's why Disney can get away with doing this because yeah. they know. To this day, look at these remakes. Look at these <laughs> live action remakes that make me want to throw myself off a bridge. And it is purely because I am of adult status now. And but I'm not I'm not a parent. And they're relying on those parents to be like, oh, I loved this animated movie. Let me take my child to this really bad live action version. <laughs> and even though they know it kind of sucks, they know it'll work. So, yeah, I mean, it's also like sometimes you just got to plop your kid down in front of a moving screen and just savor the moment, you know, and that's what these Disney sequels really are all about. I that's think that's exactly what our mother did with us. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. That but is we true. wanted it. Don't this is not slander towards Jen. OK, <laughs> we wanted it. We are currently concocting an episode of Sleepover where we bring our mom in to dispute all of the claims we have made about her parenting. <laughs> so yeah, we've made a lot of bold claims. Let us know if you're interested in a, a, a Jen Speaks episode of Sleepover. <laughs> Jen takes the stand. Which, by the way, we're not the types of kids that, like, inappropriately call their mom by her first name all the time. Like, we never call her Jen. This is, like, the first time we've ever done it, probably. <laughs> yeah, definitely publicly the first time. We, we've always called her mom. So, anyway, I just feel the need to clear that up because when people call their parents by their first names, I just get really uncomfortable. I think I think it can be cool, but anyway, we'll <laughs> we'll come we'll save that for the episode with her maybe. Okay. Now we have the gossip section from Entertainment Weekly from September 2000, and there was really not that much juicy happening cuz most of the celebrities that we're into like weren't old enough to like have gossip about them yet. So this is what I could collect. Um Audrey, do you want to read the first one? James Gandolfini signs on for two more years as the rotund star of HBO's The Sopranos, and he'll make $10 million a year. Not bad for a show with a season of only 13 episodes. So we're in the in the thick of The Sopranos hype, which actually kind of ties in nice with this movie because we do have a Sopranos character uh, or the actor of the character in this movie. So that's a weird coincidence. We and do have an Italian sea lion. <laughs> we do have that. That is true. Maybe that was secretly the Shrek effect on this movie is they were like, we need an Italian sea lion to make some slight cultural references. But it came out before Shrek. Yeah, you're right. Shit. I always, I get confused <laughs> with 2000 and 2001. Okay, and then the next piece I have is Wonderkins, Matt Damon, and Ben Affleck debut a screenwriting contest at ProjectGreenlight.com. The Oscar-winning actors and writers will produce the winning script, and the writer will direct the film with one million in backing from Miramax. I like, I know about that, because I'm pretty sure they still, that project still exists. Oh, that's kind of cool. Project Greenlight, yeah. Hmm. Men doing something that we approve of? Interesting. (laughs) 
Not on this show. Not on this show. I'm so glad that Danae, our beloved listener, uh, appreciated our line. Well, really, our uh, existential question of what do straight men do while they're alone <laughs> with each other? And, you know, that's just that's that's one of the central questions of sleepover cinema. Yep. And then I just have some other things from the year 2000 that felt relevant. Brad and Jennifer Aniston, Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston get married. Uh, Napster becomes a thing. Say My Name by Destiny's Child comes out with two new members. Anyway, so that was drama. Christina Aguilera wins Best New Artist. Eminem is like a really big star. Like the Marshall Mathers Slim Shady album comes out. And then Bring It On comes out, which I think we should probably add Bring It On to our list of movies to cover. Bring It On has been on our list. Okay. Well, we should... since. Day one. I just I just always felt a little hesitant about it because it is so well known and it has been really appreciated yeah. in like r- the past few years. Yeah, it's um, like Mean Girls level of analysis, probably. Yeah, like it's kind of been done, but I know it's it is really beloved. So I'm yeah. sure I'm sure we'll do it. We're going to have point. to do like a mini season of like the grit, like the most obvious ones, like High School Musical and Mean Girls and shit like that. Just just to give the people what they want, because if you want it, let us know. We will do it if yeah. you want to hear it. But like, do you really need another quippy analysis of I don't dance? You don't. You know enough. (laughs) We don't need to say it again. Okay. Before we watch this movie that I am very excited to watch, what do we remember about this movie? I I have. You should go first because (laughs) I remember. I remember everything because I watched it. Okay. So I have not watched this in forever, but this is. These are the primary things that child me retained. So first of all, there's a lot of songs (laughs) in this movie, and they're all pretty good. Um, but. The very beginning, there's this song called Ariel's Coming, or it's not called Ariel's Coming, but like, like the opening line is Ariel's Coming, but like Audrey always thought that it said <laughs> Ariel's Tummy because she was pregnant during like, yeah. the scene, or like she had just had the baby or something. So yeah. Ariel's Tummy, <laughs> always remember that. It's it's those little fish and they're like, Ariel's Tummy, that's what it sounds <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah, it does, it does. And then as I'm sitting here thinking about that song, I think I literally still know like every word to that song. Same. I mean, let's just like to, per- well, I don't really count because I've seen it recently, but I could do it anyway where they're like, um, out to the sea we go. We can't sing because we're not in the same room, which is really sad. I know. I was just gonna, I was gonna take it away, but. Sorry, I messed it up. I messed it up. Uh, so the next thing I had written is Ariel's purple dress. She has a really good, like, mature lady purple ball gown that she wears at one point. Um, skinny Ursula. That is what Morgana is. She's, like, cartoonishly skinny instead of cartoonishly fat. How original. Thank you so much, Disney. Then we have, uh, I'm just, I was thinking about the song with the two new characters where they're, like, adventurers slash explorers. And I wrote that down. Uh, Ariel's queenly bed is really fancy and you know what it might be Ariel's bed or it might be Melody's bed but regardless there's like a big shell behind it and it's very pleasing it's very aspirational it is (laughs) what's my aspiration in life (laughs) 
to have the bed from Little Mermaid too. Yeah, to have a shell bed. Yeah, very. And to be a mermaid. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Okay, and then the dance scene near the beginning where Melody is somehow like communicating with a fish, or it looks like she's talking to a fish, and this like fancy pants kid in the background is like, she actually talks to fish. And then I watched the trailer and the part where she was like, sometimes I pretend that I have said it. I was like, no. So all of that. Uh, Oh, I actually did remember something that used to stress me out in all movies when there is an underwater challenge somebody must get to somewhere or they will drown or it's like they're in an enclosed space and they have to get somewhere to get out and there is one of those scenes in this movie it stresses me out to no end and like another great example of that is Raoul in (laughs) Phantom of the Opera Yep, when like the gates, like when when there's like the random added action sequence of Patrick Wilson swimming in like the fucking underground river. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an experience for sure. And then Melody has a pink dress that's really good at one point. And also I wrote down when Ariel puts her feet in the water and is like, daddy. At one point, she like puts her feet in the water, and it's very like, um, like it's as if she's like wrapping herself up in like a cardigan with like a glass of wine, like it has like that energy. And she puts her feet in the water and like lifts up her skirt, and it's like, uh, she literally, she literally is like, (laughs) she's like, "Mm." so that's what I feel that water between my toes. She's like, my toesies are stimulated. Uh, so those are the main things i remember last thing last thing before we before we go watch near the beginning or like once she realizes that melody is gone and she has to go check the ocean to see to find her and she's in her dress and she's on the ship and then she's like (laughs) and she she jumps into the water and she transforms it is breathtaking (laughs) i'm really excited to watch this i haven't seen it in years um audrey has disney plus access i do not so she'll do it the legit way i will have to get inventive and uh please rewatch this movie or watch it for the first time with us i'm sure it's gonna be like a nice 75 minutes long it could be long oh it'll be short yeah i hope it's short I, pr- I take it personally when movies run over 90 minutes, which is my own problem. That's my own burden to bear. But that's a character flaw. That's my own character <laughs> flaw. Hopefully this movie doesn't bring out that flaw in me. And uh, we will be right back. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. 
we are back. We have watched the splendid film Little Mermaid 2 Return to the Sea. And I think my opening statement is that the reviewer who said that this movie is like stupid beyond uh, being tolerable. I don't think that's true. No, I think their bar is like, I don't know, maybe their bar is a little too high. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't think... I don't think that it was intolerable at all. I thought it was totally acceptable. So, but before we get into the overarching things, uh, should we talk about good things or bad things first? Probably good things, right? Yeah, probably good things. Okay, and Audrey and I both are in agreement that there is nothing really in the problematic column to speak of. There's a couple things that kind of veer in there, but we'll just keep it to the good and the bad for this yeah. for this episode. Most likely. Yeah. So I'll just run through mine. I really think that that melody locket that she has is like God tier. Yes. That locket. I had that written down too. That is the best thing I've ever seen. And like, I want one. (laughs) Overall, I think some of the songs are underwhelming, especially compared to the original Little Mermaid, obviously. But there are some moments that make some some points. Yes. Um, And I thought everybody's vocal performance was pretty good. Oh, yeah. I thought it was really funny how in the beginning, when Melody is just swimming in the ocean, she will stand her water for like a very long time. (laughs) She's got the recessive mermaid genes, as we said. Yeah, I was like, what is she has lungs of steel? Like, what is going on with her? I really appreciated Morgana's acrylics. Yes. <laughs> Which were not acrylics, I would assume. But yeah, they were like nice, really long, pointy nails that looked very fun. And then I also appreciate, because I am a, a softie, you know, I appreciated the Ariel Flounder reunion. <laughs> you are a softie. Like, that's cute. Like, he was kind of a weird middle-aged fish, but... <laughs> yep. I actually wrote down that uh, we know that he's a good dad because he has that weird fish haircut and he sounds congested. <laughs> yeah, he's got like three thingies, like three hairs. It's weird. He's got like some tendrils. Yeah. Those were my main things. Okay. I have a bit. I have a kind of a lot, but I will keep it relatively concise because we are trying to do that this time. So <laughs> the music I also wrote down by one Danny True, but born in 1949, uh, was good for the most part. I think that there were a lot of lyrics, especially in the beginning. There was like an unbelievable amount of lyrics. Yeah. Um, I also really hate the line, a child born of sea (laughs) and shore. I was like, that's a reach. Yeah. Uh, So that was just like a lot. But other than that, um... I thought the music was good. Uh, the necklace also w- stood out to me a lot. I think as a kid, I was like, that is, that's what I want in life. Yeah. I want one of those. I thought it was funny that there were like blonde heartthrob boys, both on sea, on shore and sea. <laughs> I was like, all right, sure. they're really catering. Sea and shore. Yeah. Uh, and they had highlights. Like the one, the mer, I know. the mer boy had like highlights and he was like the jacked. Mer-boy. I know. I was like, I was like, like, he's just shore boy 2.0. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 
It was not boring. It was pretty much fine. That's what I had on my good list. Oh, I also really liked the song at the end, and I thought that the harmonies were good. Yep. <laughs> they were it, They were nice to listen to. Okay, now bad things. I also have a list of just things, just observations that I had based off of the movie also. So that's kind of my third category. Okay. As far as bad things. I mean, we know it's been established that um, they were not shelling out the big bucks um, for these movies. But the funniest part about it is that (laughs) if somebody or something does not have to be moving, it's not moving. Yep. So like the way they animated it is so funny. Only 100% essential movement is included. Yes, that reminds me. It actually reminded me of Avatar while I was watching it because that's very much what Avatar is like too. Like a little bit less bad. It just kind of has the vibe of like TV animation, except I did think, well, I guess TV is like this too, but I thought the settings looked good. Like the overall spaces they were in looked good. The backgrounds were better, much better than the characters. Um, and also just like as a face moves, like in this, in this movie, it's like, they look like 45 different people. Yep. Yep. In in the span of like a hundred frames. It's like, you see so many different people throughout a face, like a face movement. And that's just another uh, symptom Mm -hmm. of not paying enough to make it look good, which I understand. I have a critique for Eric as a parent. <laughs> okay. He should really be more involved, you know? I was like, what well, they're really feeding into this stereotype of like the dad just kind of rolls up at like after the emotional turmoil and then is like, well, <laughs> yeah, he he had sucky dad vibes. Yeah, he did. Like I found myself getting bored. I maybe you you weren't bored because No, I, it, I mean it was a little boring. Yeah, like I after the setup, once Ariel and Melody both have tails, it just it, I I was like okay, like I'm bored. But my opinion is that they should have cut Tip and Dash in the screenplay and f- made the um the focus more 50-50 Melody Ariel. Mm-hmm. Um, we should have seen more of Ariel during the time where that's taken up by Tip and Dash and like the things that she's going through, because that's what it is. It's a, it's supposed to be a mother daughter story. Um, but they yeah. keep wasting our time on irrelevant things. <laughs> I think it could have been, um, a crappily animated ladybird for us. And it was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it really, it really wasn't. That's a very good point though. Yeah. And just because like the emotional, the emotional stakes, there were none. <laughs> Not really. But there could have been because as a viewer of this movie, you care about the characters you already know the most. So by inter- introducing these two animals that have no real, like, soul in the movie, it's just like, okay. I mean, I do have to say that as far as talking animal characters go, I thought they were pretty good. Yeah, I mean, we've seen worse. We've definitely seen worse, and they were, like, pretty, uh, there's something to hold on to, I thought, yeah. which was fine. It was better than other things that we've seen. Um, what other bad things do you have? <laughs> Um, those were my main things other than just like it getting slow because you kind of lose your interest in the, in the core of the movie, I think, by all the time that they waste. Yeah. Doing other things. Um, but yeah. 
Um, okay, so I have kind of a lot written under bad things, but I just write really small things on mine. Yours are more like meaty, whereas mine are just like random details. Um, <laughs> along with the animation complaints Audrey was saying, like, there's a lot of weird moments with water depth, like the best one being at the beginning where like they're deciding whether or not the baby Melody should like know about her mer life or <laughs> yeah. not. And they're literally standing like where the ocean meets the sand yeah. and Triton is like waist deep in the water somehow, <laughs> but he's like right on the beach. I'm like, how are you that deep in there? Or is this like a wade pool that I can't see? Like what's he's going on? He's just sitting. So stuff like that. <laughs> he's sitting. Yeah, he's just sitting. He's on his knees. <laughs> he's not on his knees. <laughs> Like he's sitting on his knees. He doesn't have knees. Where his knees would be. He's folding his tail. No, his tail is at a 90 degree angle. Yeah, he's he's like, like dragged his tail behind him. That's what's happening. One thing that just kind of got me in general was like, okay, you have a seaside castle. Why wouldn't you just tell Melody you can't go in the ocean because we have enemies out there? Yeah, Not, right? Don't. And instead of it's like it backs up our argument that we made about make about forbidding things, making them more appealing, you know? Yeah, I mean, so it's like everybody knows that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Ella Enchanted a little bit. Just the whole thing of like her mom being like, don't. Her mom oh, was yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> Parents setting their kids up for a difficult time. Yeah. Yeah. Just for the sake of the movie's plot. Like, okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's totally what this was. Um, I also thought that it was really funny that she was like a baby in the beginning. And King Triton was like watch over her to Sebastian and then it smash cuts to 12 years later and Sebastian is outside of the castle being like oh he told me to watch over her I'm like have you just been out there pondering the same point for 12 years like what happened like what happened between then and now do crabs not age oh clearly crabs age because he talks about being old as shit a lot in this movie yeah that's like all he really has to say so I wondered about that um I found myself wishing that Morgana was skinnier, but I think that's just because I wanted her to be Yzma. Oh, yeah. Because I said in the first half that she's like cartoonishly thin in the way that Ursula was cartoonishly fat, but it's actually not true. She's she just like very normal. And so it's like, why not give her the Yzma, you know? Um, Scuttle just showed up. He was never introduced or spoken to or <laughs> referred to. He just showed up and started saying shit only like twice. He showed up twice in the whole movie. So did that was um, interesting. the the fish guy, you know, the, the butcher. Oh, yeah. The butcher. You mean the chef? Yeah, the chef, not the butcher. <laughs> <laughs> He's basically a butcher. There were a lot of really on the nose parallels between this movie and the first one like the choreo for lack of a better term that they like give melody when she first has a tale is like a bunch of distinct homages to part of your world and i was like okay i see what you're doing i see what you're doing yeah like, very clever it's like shot for so shot I, yeah <laughs> i had that um also the penguin is italian not the sea lion <laughs> so it turns out which is upsetting for us you know there were just a lot of, like, plot convenience things where I was like, how would King Triton have known that Morgana was involved in Melody taking the trident out of the thing? Like, that doesn't really make any sense. Um, I mean, I guess they just have, like, there's one there's one bad bitch in the ocean, and he knows. <laughs> <laughs> he 
right, 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 right. I guess that's true. If anything is going amiss in regards to his power, it's her vault. Like the vanquishing of Morgana was like basically note for note the exact same thing as the first movie. Yeah. And I was also like, so you mean to tell me that Melody just went up there and grabbed it? She grabbed yeah. the trident and that's how they resolved it? Like yeah. that that was a reach. Um, <laughs> and then the last thing I have in this column is at the end... When Grandpa, King Triton, is like, I'm just going to decide. I'm giving you the choice to either live as a mermaid or live as a human. And clearly he had not consulted with the parents. I was like, damn, like that was that was bold. I thought just general takes. This movie had a lot of moments that reminded me of the Debbie Ryan meme. (laughs) Like when Melody was like, finally gonna tell her mom how she felt and she was like now mom don't freak but and then it got cut off I was like I'm in pain like this is physically paining me have you seen those tiktoks that are just people um like mocking that sort of dialogue <laughs> yeah yeah I think Where so they'll be like they'll be like "Ooh, that's gotta hurt <laughs> it'll be it's like so painful you, have you like, seen those you think yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's very that bad. Shit, sometimes it lines like that happen because we've been rewatching Avatar and like Legend of Korra and shit. And uh, and that those lines happen all the time where they're like, well, that was a good idea. And I'm like, yeah. no, it's like, I don't know why those that type of dialogue really thrives in cheap animation. It's just easy to think yeah, of. It's it just doesn't easy. require much. Um, OK, I have three things left that are just general things to think about. The, it, they they uh, escalate in seriousness. <laughs> okay. The first one is, this is more of like a personal anecdote, but like, so, okay. I love drawing. When I was a kid, I loved drawing princesses. That was my thing. And I remember that it was this girl I went to elementary school with who I fucking hated. She was <laughs> such a bitch. Audrey knows who I'm talking about. And she would like roast me for like drawing boobs on female characters. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I made it made me so insecure. And now whenever I like like as I was watching this movie today, like with Ariel, did I you was, feel like, validated? Oh, her, her boobs are like a major feature of this character. <laughs> it's like did, I am not making this shit up. Did you feel validated? I felt a little validated. Yeah. I was like, this is how things look. And sorry that you, Miss Salty uh, Elementary School Rival, had to shit on me because I was better at drawing than you. But she did. And I was. So um, that's my first point. My second point is. <laughs> point. I have a, a lot of points. It's a point. I really, really <laughs> do have many points. Um... I don't know what it is with, like, male characters and, like, wanting to be a hero. Like, that's such a big thing. And it kind of makes me think of, like, how for, like, female characters a lot of the time, especially in, like, baseline shit like this, it's very, like, um, it's very much, like, wanting to be married or, like, wanting to be, like, seen by men. And... It obviously has a lot to do with stereotypes. Like, to be a good man is to be, like, uh, rough and 
powerful dude who's in control or whatever. And I just think it's really funny that that even translates into a movie like this. Yeah. <laughs> that is fucking Little Mermaid 2 Return to the Sea. I just, I noted that. I'm not sure why they even bothered including even like an allusion to a love interest for Melody. That was kind of weird. I know, because it really wasn't about that. It wasn't Probably at all. Probably just for, like, merchandising potential, knowing <laughs> the empire of the time. And then my last thing that I have that's my bigger point is that as, over the past year, I've been doing a lot of reading, as a lot of people have been, I think, about... This seems like a reach, but go with me. About how... um crime and punishment is so like baked into everything we watch like villains and shows get banished forever or they get killed or whatever and I just as Morgana was frozen in ice and thrown into the depths and and uh <laughs> Triton was like you're fucked forever yeah. it's over I was just like no one wants to rehabilitate Morgana that's, like, that's what I I was literally going to say that. I was like, can we not? Like, she's not, you know, she's got a lot of skills. Like, can we Can we not, she like, does. give her another chance? Maybe, like, let her redeem herself? Yeah, um, like, I just think it's so funny that, like, in kids' stuff, even when it's, like, the death where where someone just, like, falls off a cliff or, like, ooh, I don't know. It's just, like, even in kids' shit, People are disposable, like human life is disposable. And it's just really interesting to think about how you really are just raised in this, in a society where people are like, if you fuck up bad enough, you can literally just be killed and that's yeah. it. Or you could not fuck up enough or you could do nothing and get killed. You know, it's just, it's right. wild. Yeah, that's really true. We don't, but there are some children's movies where the villain does get like a second chance or whatever, but it is not like the common yeah, no. Or it's like either they get a second or either they get picked off the face of the earth or borderline even worse, like the Ella Enchanted solution, yeah. <laughs> which is like they're maimed and then like put out to be viewed by the populace. It's just like, <laughs> this is a lot. <laughs> Wheeled so, out in a wheelbarrow looking thing. <laughs> It's just, you know, you can trace the roots of uh, your transformative justice learning all the way back to Little Mermaid 2 Return to the Sea. That's all yeah. I'm saying. And speaking of that, like, we did take note that all of the people except one, were white. And um, they did have one Asian merboy. Um yeah. Really? One. Like, in very intentionally Asian merboy. Yeah. Yeah, and like, um, okay. we do love and need more um, diverse mermaid culture uh, to be displayed. It's also, if I may say, it's literally true, even to this day, like with people that do like mermaid cosplay and stuff, this actually neatly ties in the wholehearted plug I've been wanting to do for a while. So I have another podcast where I do like, profiles and personal essays and stuff called wholehearted and i interviewed this woman named danielle but she goes by mermaid aziza and she's a black mermaid performer and uh it was like really interesting to talk to her about like how uh mermaid culture is especially like at renaissance fairs and stuff like that so 
we do need multicultural, non-white mermaid representation. Yeah, and it's you know literally what's really true. What's great is that the now I, you know I don't want the live-action remake of the Little Mermaid that it will be coming <laughs> that is forthcoming. But um, if anything, I'm so glad that they cast Halle Bailey as. Ariel, because she is the most magical person, like, on the planet. Her vibes are immaculate. Yes. Um, She, like, looks like a fairy to me. All in all, is Little Mermaid 2 a good movie? I'd say the the first 30 minutes were... It's it's totally great for kids. If you love The Little Mermaid, you should definitely watch it. Um, some of the songs are good. It's a really nice runtime. It's a totally fine movie. I thought it, it was funny. It held up from what I remembered and it didn't have anything really problematic in a new or shocking way. So that's yeah. good. It's all we can ask for. It really is all we can ask for. So I guess that's it for this week. <laughs> Yeah, we wrapped that up real quick. But we still got to some interesting places. So um, if you love The Little Mermaid or uh, any of the Disney sequels, you should let us know because maybe we'll do another Disney sequel at some point. I mean, there's really not that much to say, though, (laughs) Uh, especially if this if they weren't so embedded in our heart to start with, you know, like a different Disney sequel. It might not be as good. But anyway, probably not. Next week, we also have a very uh, different and exciting type of episode. We have a versus episode with a very, very special guest that we are still in shock that she wanted to be associated with us. So we're really excited. (laughs) We haven't recorded it yet. So we're just really waiting in it. We're really uh, waiting in anticipation for that. Yes, yes. But um, the hint is... The movies are a bit older, but they're still extremely relevant. So think that and think a little spooky and you're on the right track. So until then, um, thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging out with us. And uh, I always try to think of something related to the movie that I can finish it. (laughs) That's it. That's how to send them home. Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs) You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with all our latest creative projects at twopinkpictures.com. If you want to watch our show as well as listen, we're on YouTube too. Yay. Search sleepover cinema or go to the link tree in our Instagram bio. We're on Instagram and Twitter at twopinkpictures and would love to hear from you there. We're also on TikTok at sleepover cinema and that's really where the party is at. It's true. And if you like Sleepover Cinema, please share an episode with a few friends. Also, since we're asking for things, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcasts app. Um, For some reason, they're super powerful and we would always appreciate a nice review. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman, and theme music is by Josh Perlman Hall. Special thanks to executive producers Michael D'Aloya and David Moss. We'll chat again soon. We'll chat again soon. 
Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.